0: I always love the start of a a new series and here today we are starting a series through Nehemiah and we'll be touching into little bits of of Ezra and Zechariah and Haggai too. Uh, So watch out for that because they all cover the same chunk of history and are written to the same group of people. So watch out for that in the coming weeks. Uh, because we're going to be mainly based in Nehemiah and then we are going to be dipping in and out of those other books to give us some context. Uh, So yeah, so here we go, all about the restoration of what God wants to do in us and through us and uh, as well as what he did do in Jerusalem and what he will do in Telford. Now there was a series of weeks in uh, Lent of 2010, so this is like ages ago. And uh, I and some others decided that what we would do is every single morning through Lent is to get up at 6.30 every day to pray for breakthrough in what God was wanting to do. Yes, I know for so many of us, we're thinking what Matt got his lazy butt out of bed and went to pray at 6:30. Come on, Matt! You're not a morning person. What on earth happened? That was revival right there and then. But yes, I did. I got out of bed, and uh, was praying with others at 6:30 a.m. right through Lent of 2010, for breakthrough in mission, for church growth, and for people to come to faith. Some pretty amazing things. But actually, God had another idea. And with all three of those people that we're meeting, myself and two others, uh, we had a sense of God saying this My heart is broken. And we were during that time, it was that, that famous song, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Anyone remember that? Those sorts of songs? Yeah. Never ever pray that prayer, it's dangerous. If you pray it, you need to take out life insurance or health insurance or some sort of insurance against God saying, hang on, I'll take your word at it. Go for it. But we prayed that prayer. God, would you break our hearts for the things that break yours? And God said these words that would change my life forever. And it was this. My church is breaking my heart. And that wrecked us for the whole of that land. And we spent time weeping and mourning, fasting and praying, for a restoration of God's church. My my church is breaking my heart. Imagine what God would be saying to us now. Have we been captured by the call of God that has completely shifted? our worldview? Has it completely shifted everything that we're about? Has God's call completely shaken us to the core of our very being? And we've thrown a reason to the wind, and we're following it, come what may, even to Telford, even to the ends of the earth. You know, there are some amazing Christians that we've we've heard about, probably some of you know this, a guy called Billy Graham. Anyone heard of Billy Graham? Yeah, quite a few people. And, and Billy Graham, when he came to faith, he knelt down and said, I'm yours. And it completely wrecked him for the entirety of his life. He, he decided in that moment that he wanted to share his encounter with God with everyone. Pete Gregg, who some of us know, right at the edge of Europe praying, God completely wrecked him. Other people, Lewis, was sat on a bus praying in coming down Headington Hill in Oxford. And he called out to God and God absolutely wrecked him. Hudson Taylor, who, who brought the gospel to China and, and other places. God captured his heart and absolutely wrecked him for a call that would change a nation. I just want to read uh, a bit from Hudson Taylor's biography, and it says this. as as he prayed and as he encountered God. I shall never forget, he wrote, the feeling that came over me then. Words can never describe it. I felt I was in the presence of God, entering into a covenant with the Almighty. I felt as though I wished to withdraw my promise, but could not. Something seemed to say your prayer is answered, your conditions are accepted. And from that time, the conviction never left me that I was called to China. I wonder what that call God has put in you for, for yourself, for your whole worldview. It doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean you're called to uh, lead a church or pastor a church. No, it could be anything could be to education, it could be uh, to family life, it could be to singleness, it could be to all sorts of things where God has completely grabbed your heart and said, I've covenanted with you to do this. Imagine that, imagine a whole bunch of us, all 35 of us that belong to Telford Minster, if we are completely wrecked with a call to follow God wherever he calls us. Be incredible, wouldn't it? Be absolutely amazing. It would change Telford. So maybe as we go through this this book, Nehemiah, God might be calling to us. He might be saying, "Hey, I've got this for you. How about you go and do it?" But often that sense of call is birthed in prayer and fasting and capturing His heart. For Nehemiah, what did that really look like? Well, it looked like those bits from, from verse 1 to 4, if you have your Bibles open. In the month of Kislev, in the twel- in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnants that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived are in exile and are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is burned down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. That's what Nehemiah's call looked like. Weeping and fasting and praying and crying out to God. I know that some of us have been doing that for Telford. I know some have been praying for for 10 years, 12 years for God to break into Telford, crying out, capturing God's heart for the place where we live. And I believe God's just saying, keep on praying. Keep on praying, keep on seeking his face. And maybe, just maybe, God is going to be changing things for the better. God's going to be changing things, uh, systems and structures uh, to make his word known in Telford. Amazing, isn't it? And he's saying, do it through you. He chooses us to do it. So where are we up to in the story of God at the moment? Well, if we start with probably King David, the real pinnacle of what's going on through the whole of the Old Testament. Uh, King David has come into Jerusalem, restored, established Israel as this this nation that all nations should be looking to them for. We've got Solomon and the consecration of the temple. And God comes down and says, this will be my dwelling place. Uh, Zion, as it's referred to in the Old Testament, Jerusalem and the temple the city of God and the place where God dwells. And after David and Solomon, there's this sort of trajectory of, of a slow downward moment with king upon king upon king, not really caring what was going on. They worshipped and then they didn't and they discovered and they didn't. And then they they kind of just had this downward trend into despair Apart from one king called Josiah, who rediscovered the Lord in some sort of back basement of the temple and and kind of returned Israel to God. But on the most part, all those kings absolutely messed up. They were leading God's people away from God towards uh, worshipping the Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah and others. But God sent a series of prophets to come and to say to them, hey, guys, you need to be worshipping God. He's the one who you're named after. He's the one who you should be following. He's the one that led you out of out of Egypt in a place of slavery to bringing you to your own nation. And you will be called his people and and he will be calling and, and you will call him your God. But still, they didn't quite listen. They still kept messing up. Jeremiah says this in uh, Jeremiah 1, 14 to 16. He says this. The Lord said to me from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I'm going to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declared the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones. In the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, they will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgment on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking them, in burning incense to other gods and worshipping what their hands have made. Wow. Here is God saying to them, guys, I'm going to send these armies from the north. And if you're a geography nerd like me, they came round the fertile Crescent down into into uh, modern-day Israel, and they conquer all the way along. First, the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians. And they completely destroy what it means for them to be God's people. They destroy destroy their worshipping life. They destroy the, the city of God, Jerusalem. Everything that makes them them have been taken from them, just as God said through those prophets they had forgotten their covenant. They turned to worshiping other gods and idols. They didn't bring offerings. They, they rather gave their gold and incense and sacrifices to those idols rather than God. And in 586 BC, the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, absolutely wiped it out, destroyed the walls, completely toppled the temple, Destroyed everything. Their place of worship where Yahweh dwelt. Zion, rubble, gone. Everything is gone. Imagine that. Imagine if all of a sudden God says to us, listen, guys, every remnant of me in Telford is going to go because my people have already done that. They've already left my promise. So I'm gonna take out and wipe out every church in Telford, no more Christians there, that's it. That would be game over, wouldn't it? That's disastrous. But here is exactly what's happened. God, through the Babylonians, have wiped out all of those people who are supposed to represent God, carted them off into exile, destroyed the place where they worshipped because they didn't follow him. Now, let's just get that straight. I don't think God's going to be wiping out anyone at the moment. Just, Just, you can breathe easy. But we're facing the same sort of thing now. Telford is not what it should look like. When there are thriving Christian presence in the town, Telford isn't what God has made it to be yet, and it will be. So let's just put the pause button on there. So why are we? Dis- why are we going to be looking at Nehemiah and drawing on Ezra and Zechariah and Haggai uh, through this next season up until the summer? Well, a little bit like Babylon, the UK and Telford is multinational. It's corrosive to those who have a faith. What? You worship God. You give up your time. You give up your money. Why would you do that? There are very few people that call on God's name in Telford. And so it makes it a little bit like Babylon. The Christian church and our faith in Telford is a little bit like those walls, broken down and the gates are burned with fire. The church and Christian faith in Telford is at an all time low. In Telford, there are less than a thousand people worshipping in churches, which works out to be less than 1% of the population. There are less than 60 under 18s in our churches. The gospel is not often preached. And we often are worshiping religion rather than Jesus. Quite extraordinary, isn't it? That's what what Telford looks like. That's the remnant of the Christian faith in Telford. And then we put COVID on top of it. Churches aren't quite meeting. People are scared to come into churches. People haven't been engaging in worship now for almost a year. So it's time to assess where we are. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be journeying with Nehemiah as he assesses Jerusalem and the place of worship. So it's time to assess. It's time to rebuild. What is God calling the church to be in Telford? It's time to rebuild that. And it's time to reestablish worship in the correct way not by people wearing certain outfits or or following a set of rules, that's religion, but actually to outline faith that follows Jesus and him alone. So who is this Nehemiah guy? What's he all about? Well, we know that he's a son of Hakaliah, He's he's an Israelite, he's he's someone who's descended from those who had been conquered in Babylon and is now uh, conquered uh, from Jerusalem and is now in Babylon. He's one of the remnant and he was probably born in Babylon. He's not one of the people that witnessed all the destruction. He was born there, one of the remnant. Well, what we discover very quickly is he works in the citadel of Susa, which is the winter palace of Artaxerxes, which is from about the mid-century, middle of the fifth century BC. So kind of around 445 BC is where this is located. We know that Artaxerxes is is the king of Babylon in this time, often referred to as the king of kings. Uh, and is worshipped like a god. But of course we know he's only a man. And then we have uh, Nehemiah saying this at the end of our reading, I was cupbearer to the king. He's got access to this king of kings, as they called it. access to the, the person who ruled over the Babylonian empire of that time pretty amazing. But here we have Nehemiah, and he hears something, he he hears something from his mate who comes from uh, Judah, from Jerusalem. Hanani, one of my brother's, So he hears this. We already know that there are a few people who went back to Jerusalem, even before Nehemiah wrote, about 20 to 30 years before a remnant went back. And here, Nehemiah is hearing from Hanani what was going on. And they are in disgrace and in great trouble. Wow. As we hear the story of the church in Telford, I wonder what our hearts are saying. As we look at it, as we assess what God has done in Telford, and we look at it now and say, God, is this what it means to follow you? I think we can all go and say, no. God, there's so much more that you've got for Telford, so much more to be realised. And guess what, guys? It's not about us striving and doing more and working our socks off to get it done and battling and fighting to get it done. No. No. It starts in a place that Nehemiah starts, on his knees, praying, fasting, seeking God's face. And as we look at this last bit, this this first bit of Nehemiah, there are three things that, that come out in his prayer. Well, firstly, is the acknowledgement of who God is. Remember, he hasn't been and seen the temple in Jerusalem. He doesn't know what the worshipping life of God's people looked like because he's always been in Babylon. He doesn't know, but he acknowledges who God is. Secondly, is he repents, which means turning 180 degrees from going your own way to going God's way. And then thirdly, there's action. He doesn't just sit and pray forever. He he listens to what God is doing and follows it. So firstly, the acknowledgement of who God is from verses five and six. Then he prayed, then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps a covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant. He is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Wow. Here, Nehemiah recognises who God is. Not Artaxerxes as king and lord and God, but Yahweh, the Lord. The one who was revealed to Moses at the burning bush, the one who has a covenant with Abraham, so will your descendants be like stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. Follow my commandments that he gave to Moses. Wow, he knows who this God is. For us, we've got that question, do we know who God is? And I think most of us on the screen do. And it's why other churches in Telford are are, are, are looking at hashtag do you know him? Because they don't quite know who Jesus is. Having spent time with you guys, you all know who Jesus is. And that's why we're not studying that. It's why we're not joining the other churches in that. We're looking at Nehemiah because already we've got a road to follow, the track toward rebuilding God's church. It's like we're two steps ahead of the other churches in Telford. We already know who he is. So what's the next thing? Is repenting, turning 180 degrees from where we are to running back to God. Here, and we we see it in Nehemiah chapter 1, from from verse 6 to 10. It says this. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed your commands, the decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by great strength and your mighty arm. Extraordinary. He confesses the sins of himself and his family and the nation because they haven't followed God. He wants to return them. He reminds God of his promise to bring them back together, to restore Jerusalem, to restore the uh, worship of his name. We need to begin to return again to worship Jesus. We need to remember to call people to come back to what they've done. There are hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people in Telford who have forgotten who God is. But us, the remnant of God's people, are there to say, come on, guys, return to the Lord. You knew him as as a child and as a teenager, but you've gone away. Come back, repent, and come back and know God. It means we need to stop worshipping stuff instead of God. It means where we've worshipped religion in the past, we now need to remember to worship God, not that. We need to put our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then the third thing happens there's some action after knowing who God is, after turning from our sin, then there's action that's needed to happen. He says this, Let your ears be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. Hear our prayer. Remember, it starts in that place of prayer. We need our own personal revival before we can choose to revive Telford. Hear our prayer, God. Lord, we've captured your heart and we say yes and amen to what you're doing. Teach our hearts to pray along with your will. Lord, would you grant us success in seeing things change? and to get on going and to see it happen. It means stepping out and going to the places, the authorities, going to to the places where it might seem really fearful to go because we are so moved by God's heart for Telford, his heart for the lost, that we're willing to step out. Remember that we can't change Telford as Christians unless we ourselves are changed and are chasing after him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to, to, to be a part of Telford Minster. It's to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. It's what I'm praying for all of us every day. And I hope you're praying for that too. Are we fasting and praying to see God impact our city? See, because we can also pray and pray and pray and pray until the cows come home. But we've also got to act. Prayer without action is just talk. Action without prayer is just useless because we're going our own thing. We've got to have both together. We have to be praying our hearts out and we have to be walking in the way that Jesus has, has told us to go as we capture his heart. God has told us to go. So why are we still praying? Why are we still sat there in places of, oh Lord, would you would you show us what you want us to do? He's already done that. So we've got to walk in it. As we step out, we will see God doing more and more, and then we've got more stuff to fuel our prayer. Nehemiah's action was to step out and ask Artaxerxes for something that would change the world dramatically. He faced death by doing it. This guy was cupbearer to the king. You know, it wasn't a wasn't a, a huge flashy role. But here he goes and says, "God, would you give me favor? I was cupbearer to the king. He could have faced death by following God's." Call. I wonder if God's got a call on your lives. Has God put something in you that you are so moved to do that unless you did it, you would explode? I really believe God God has called us to Telford for a time as this because things are changing. God is doing a new thing. And we as a church, we're just beginning to perceive what he's doing and to walk in it. But before we can change Telford, we need to change ourselves. We need to have our own personal renewal like something that Nehemiah had. Are we looking at the churches in Telford and are we fasting? Are we praying? Are we going, God, these people don't resemble who you are and what your name is? We've just had Easter and they don't get it. I, this week, had a conversation with a church leader who said, I'm not bothered about people becoming Christians. I'm bothered about building my church. We've lost the plot. If we don't think Jesus is the only way that's going to change Telford, we've lost the plot. Jesus is the only way to change us and to change Telfer for the good. We have to start with our own personal revival before we can change the world. For those of us who are millennials uh, in this call, often we have been told throughout our childhood, ever since we've grown up, you can do anything in the world. The answer is, no, you can't. No, you can't. You cannot change Telfit unless you yourself have been changed by an encounter with God that has shaken you to the very core of your being, that you can't help but share Jesus with people. If you haven't had that, guess what? It's time to get on your knees and to fast and pray for God to come and flood your life with anything but of everything that he is. If you feel called to go and do something, go and do it. You can see I'm getting into preacher mode here. But but God is calling you to be the remnant in Telford that brings the kingdom of God into play. Are we fasting and praying that God's kingdom would break in? There are glimpses, guys. Are we also willing to step out and do it? As we continue through Nehemiah, we're going to see how this prayer unpacks and the effects that it has uh, on, on the whole people of God. One prayer can change everything. One prayer changed Hudson Taylor. Uh, guy in the north of England calling out to God and it took the gospel to China and saw the kingdom of God do amazing things there imagine what 35 of us at Telford Minster having a call to see the kingdom of God break in in Telford what that can do but it starts with us on our knees going God we can't do this without you so would you come in and do it? How about we pray? Father, would you, would you break into our lives? Would you give us a revelation of yourself that completely consumes everything within us? And Lord, we know we've got to we've got to choose that for ourselves. No, no one can do it for us. Lord, we know that that the things that that change nations, change the world, change society is the bended knee, and Lord, would you start in us? And each one of us, Lord, would we so submit to you that we we fast and pray for what you might be doing? And then, Father, would you give us a kick up the bum to get on and do it? Lord, would you open our eyes to what you're doing through this series in Nehemiah? Lord, where there are those things in us that we we are worshipping false gods in our lives, would you take them away? Father, dare we pray that where where churches and church leaders in Telford are worshiping religion and false gods rather than you, Lord, would you would you squash them? Would you move them on? Would you destroy them? Father, would we re-establish what it means to worship you in this town? Would you bring your rule and your reign to bear in Telford? Lord, would you start in us? Would the change start with us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.